0: Let's turn uh, together in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. Hebrews 12, 12 through 17. If we were to um, form a big circle right now, and if we were to spend the rest of our time together opening up with one another about the various difficulties that we each are walking through... Uh, difficulties at home, at work, at school, in our neighborhoods, uncertainties, trials, troubles. If we were to form a circle and open up with one another, all the the various difficulties we're facing, I'm confident that we wouldn't go home until late tonight or, or probably tomorrow because we are all in the thick of something, you and I. Together and individually, we are all in the thick of something. We are all living in a broken world that is groaning with the symptoms of human sinfulness. And so I I know factually that you, as I, we we are in the thick of something difficult. However, as believers and followers of Jesus, we are assured of and comforted by the truths that were conveyed to us two Sundays ago in Hebrews 12 verses one through 11. And we were even comforted by what our brother Mitch Marcheski brought last week from Psalm 27. Our heavenly father who loves us so much that he ransomed us from our sin through the sacrificial offering of his son. Our heavenly father is not detached from the difficulties you and I are presently facing. He is, in fact, involved in them. Mysteriously, yet mercifully, God, our Heavenly Father, is superintending our difficulties in order that we would grow and be strengthened in our dependence on Him, that we would be deepened in our delight in Him, and that we would be brightened in our reflection of Him and His holiness. So in this moment, I don't know what it is that you are individually facing, but in this moment, in whatever you're presently facing, I know it is unpleasant. I mean, the writer of Hebrews acknowledges much, right? As much in in verse 11 of chapter 12, he says, for the moment, all, all of this, all of this discipline seems painful and not pleasant. But just you wait, brothers and sisters, Because in time, you and I and we will see that the difficulties we are presently facing, the guardrails, the roadblocks, the troubles, these things are actually shaping us and preparing us for the renewed and righteous world we're about to inhabit with Jesus. This is the big idea that that was conveyed to us in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. But now, we're turning to verses 12 through 17, and, and, and verse 12, it begins with that, where it's, it's like the writer of Hebrews' favorite word, therefore, right? Therefore, which is to say, because we know that our present difficulties are superintended by our loving Heavenly Father who is committed to making us holy. Therefore, what he's about to say stems from what he's just said. I'd invite you to follow along as we continue this thought and as we, as we read. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral, Or unholy, like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's, let's pray, and, 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 and then we'll dive in. Father, please give us understanding of this text. It is sobering, but it is life-giving to those with ears to hear. Give us ears to hear, minds to comprehend, and hearts to believe and submit to what is in this word for your glory, for our joy. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. All right, holiness. To be holy means to be set apart, right? To be holy means to be different, distinct. It reminds me of the uh, you know, old uh, like coloring books as a child, where you know it's a picture full of things. Which one of these things is not like the others, right? They're, they're, holiness. Our triune creator God is holy. He is set apart from all others in absolute purity and perfection. And so it must be for those who belong to him. We are to be set apart, distinct from the unholy world that surrounds us. In Hebrews chapter 10 we learned that our faith has united us with Christ. By faith we have already been made pure and perfect and holy. And this is really good. This is really good news because of what we're told in our passage in verse 14. No one who is not holy will see the Lord on the day of judgment. Oh, only those who are holy will see the face of Christ for eternity. And so for those of us who acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Son of God who redeems us from sin, we've already been declared holy by God. We've already been set apart as holy, and now we have the privilege, the joy, the responsibility of walking in that holiness. Now, for the sake of of the clarity of the gospel. Let me say this again. As Christians, you and I are not working toward holiness. That's already been declared of us. We are not working toward holiness. We are walking in the holiness that has already been been declared about us. Our thoughts and words and attitudes and actions They must be marked by the distinct from the world purity and perfection that Christ has already crowned us with. And our passage this morning lays out four, there might be more, but all I counted was four and that's all we have time for. Our passage this morning lays out four very practical ways that we can walk in the distinct from the world purity and perfection that Christ has crowned us with. Four practical ways that you and I can shine as holy lights against the backdrop of an unholy world. And so four points if you're a note taker. The wording is a little longer um, so I'll repeat these hopefully many times. Number one we can be strong when we have no strength number two we can strive for godly peace with everyone number three we can preach good news to those who are forgetting it and number four we can master our earthly cravings with heavenly satisfaction I know that's very wording or very wordy I'll repeat, number one, first of the four practical ways that you and I can shine as holy lights among or against the backdrop of of an unholy world. Number one, we can be strong when we have no strength. That's number one. Verse 12, lift your drooping hands, O saint. Strengthen your weak knees, O saint. And make straight paths for your feet, O saint. O well, brothers and sisters, the difficulties that you are facing this morning, they might have you feeling depleted and defeated. And you may be tempted to slunk your shoulders like one who has no hope. But a little birdie told me that the tomb is empty and that the strength and song of your faith is alive. He is alive. You may not feel strong enough to sacrificially serve your unbelieving neighbors today, but by the enabling power of Christ, you are strong enough. You may not feel strong enough to boldly lead your children in the opposite direction as all the other families in Worcester, but by the enabling power of Christ, you are strong enough. You may not feel strong enough to face your antagonistic co-workers tomorrow or to undergo another blood test this week. But you're not going to ultimately be defeated by any of those things any more than Christ was defeated by the grave. Because God is superintending that your difficulties would shape you into ever-enduring holiness, you can lift those drooping hands. Come on. You can strengthen those weak knees and you can take the next step on the race that is set before you because as God says to you in first corinthians twelve nine, my grace is sufficient for you my power is made perfect when you feel weakest and you can face the insults that are coming your way you can face hardship and persecution and calamity because when you are weak, my son, my daughter, I'm going to make you strong in and through and for and like Christ. Brothers and sisters, we, we, we can be strong when we have no strength. It's paradoxical. It doesn't make sense, but we can. Such is the case for us who are in Christ and indwelled by God, the Holy Spirit himself. The momentary difficulties of animosity in the workplace, these momentary difficulties of trouble that's on the news and unhealth in our bodies, these are unpleasant for sure. Scripture acknowledges it. We don't have to enjoy difficulty, but the bodily resurrection that you and I are groaning for It's just over the horizon. The vanquishing of Satan and all sin and death, the utter vanquishing of all that, it's just over the horizon. Our momentary difficulties right now will will not have the last word. And so we can lift our drooping hands strengthen weak knees and we can take the next step because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world and this kind of otherworldly strength right it's not self-help it's not just wishing positive vibes upon ourselves this kind of otherworldly strength would have no doubt if, if if these the first recipients of this letter book of hebrews If they were to walk in this strength, this otherworldly strength would have absolutely caused them to be set apart in their city. And this kind of otherworldly strength will no doubt do the same for you and I here in Worcester. It will reveal our holiness, our set-apartedness to the people of Worcester. I mean, to be able to have strength when we would ordinarily not have strength, that's a prime position for our coworkers and neighbors and friends to say, hey, give me a reason for, for the hope, the confidence that is inside of you. It's an evangelistic opportunity, our holiness. So the first practical way we can walk in holiness, sweet mercy, we're already 15 minutes in. We're going to be here for a while. All right, here we go. That's the first way. Point number one, we can be strong when we have no strength. The second practical way that we can walk in the holiness of Christ is that we can strive for godly peace with everyone. And those words are chosen very carefully. We can strive for godly peace with everyone. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone. Now that word, strive, it means to labor, to, to toil, to exert oneself toward a desired end. And herein lies the difference between merely keeping the peace and making the peace see to keep the peace with your family with your co-workers with your neighbors all you have to do is let things fall where they fall don't lift a finger just let things fall where they fall I'm not going to offer an apology and I'm certainly not going to tell her or him how what she said really you know it hurt my feelings because I just want to keep the relational waters smooth I just want to keep things seemingly peaceful while I secretly, quietly cultivate a root of bitterness inside. I don't want to strive after making peace. I just, I want to keep the peace, so to speak. This is the way of the world. This is the way of the world. And yet here is another way that we are to be marked by the distinct from the world, purity and perfection that Christ has crowned us with. We can embrace, you and I, we can embrace the hard but life-giving work of just offering a sincere apology when we hurt someone. It's really not rocket science. We can embrace the hard but life-giving work of vulnerably telling someone, that hurt my feelings. I, brother, I, I, I love you, I just, that hurt. We can embrace the hard but life-giving work of, of maybe even having the courage to walk up to a brother or sister in the cafe after a gathering and just simply say, hey, are, are we good? Are, are, are we okay? How might I need to, to lay my life down for, for you like Jesus has laid his down for me? Are we okay? We can be courageous enough to get a shovel out until the relational soil So that new life and real life has a chance to grow. As far as it depends on you, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12. As far as it depends on you, O Christian, do this with everyone. Live peaceably with everyone. Now true peace isn't always possible because it depends on two parties you and the other person but if possible as far as it depends on you look back at verse 14 strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the lord so at first glance these these two statements in verse 14 has has two parts at first glance they might seem unrelated but 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 no, they, they are deeply related. The relational peace that we are to pursue, you hear me, and I'm going to make some enemies probably on this one. The relational peace that we are to pursue with our transgender coworker, and or our gay neighbor and or our pro-choice family member the relational peace we are to pursue with them cannot, must not compromise the holy purity that we are called to reflect to the world and to them. We can and should, whether you're a transgender coworker, your gay neighbor, your pro-choice family member, we can and should strive to get to know them. We can and should strive for ways to serve them. We can and should have them over for a meal and listen to their story and share our story with them. But if and when relational peace with them would require us to participate in their new gender reveal party or their wedding or their pro-choice rally, We as Christians simply cannot do that. For our own holiness and for our faithful witness to the world, we cannot even give the impression that we are for what God is patently against. This is what sets us apart. This is what makes us shine like holy lights against the backdrop of an unholy world. The second practical way that we can walk in the holiness of Christ is that we can strive for a godly peace. We can only go so far as godliness and holiness will allow us. So we can strive for godly peace with everyone. The third practical way is that number three, we can preach good news to those who are forgetting it. Verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up defiling many. All right, so, so grace is the unmerited favor of God towards sinners, right? But there are two ways that we might fail to obtain it. And this is what the, he, the writer of Hebrews is, is urging us to be on guard against, both on ourselves and one another. If you're a member here at Oaks Church, you've agreed. You're going to keep your eyes out for brothers and sisters who might be failing to obtain the grace of God in one of these two ways. Number one... One of the ways that we, the first way that we fail to obtain the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, is by thinking that we are ultimately too sinful to receive it. The devil, who is also called the accuser, he loves to make our stains seem unwashable. He whispers things like this. That that wrongful divorce of yours, that relapse, that stint with drugs, that fit of rage, that bout with pornography, here's one too, that abortion when you were young and terrified and had nowhere to turn, those things, no one, this is the whisper of the serpent, no one, especially a despised Nazarene on a cross, no one can wash that from your record. You are unwashable. The accuser loves to make our stains seem unwashable. But that same little birdie, I'm going to keep going back that A little birdie told me that the despised Nazarene who bled on a cross was in fact the incarnate son of God. And the reason he bled on that cross was because his holy blood has a way of whitewashing every stain that is plunged beneath it. We mustn't fail to remind ourselves of this, and we mustn't fail to remind our fellow Christians that their unholy stains are no match for the holy blood of Jesus Christ. The first way we might fail to obtain the grace of God is by believing the lie that we are somehow beyond it. No one here is beyond the grace of God. No stain in this room can't be washed white as snow by the blood of Jesus. The first way that we might fail to obtain the grace of God is by thinking we are beyond the grace of God. The second way is by thinking that our good works are owed the grace of God. This was the mindset of the Jewish Christians to whom this letter was first written. They were returning to the law of Moses. God, look at all of the spiritual things we are doing. God, look, we are observing almost all of the 16 and, uh, you know, 16, 613 laws of the old covenant. And yeah, the old covenant has technically been made obsolete and it's, it's, it's no longer in existence. But look at how good we're doing, God. Look, look at this. It must be great to have us on your team, it must be pretty easy to show grace to us. I mean, because look at that other church over there. We're not them. We are, it must be great for you to have us on your team, Lord. Ever since the Garden of Eden, if the devil can't make us feel beyond God's grace on account of our bad behavior, he loves to make us feel like we're owed God's grace on account of our good behavior. Both of which Keep us from obtaining the grace of God. And let's remember for just a sobering moment, Jesus' words in Matthew 7, on the day of judgment, many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, look at all the spiritual things we did in your name. And then Jesus says, but I'm gonna have to say to them, depart from me because I never knew you. You see, the Savior only knows those who know they need a Savior. And so let me ask you just quickly what I'm asking myself in light of this verse right here. If you were to stand before Christ today and if you were to be asked by him, what reason do you give me? for Why should I let you in to my eternal kingdom that I have gloriously forged by my blood? What reason? Why why should I let you in? How would you answer that question? Would you answer that question by saying, Look at all the good things I have done? That won't hold any water. If that is the way we would answer the question, we need to repent for for, for the arrogance of thinking that. That our momentary good work where we said something without absolutely being drenched in selfishness, that that alone was enough to merit the perfect righteous entry into a glorious everlasting kingdom? No. Our song should be this. We are dressed in His righteousness alone. And it's by his righteousness alone that we will stand faultless before the throne. Jesus, the reason why you should let me in to your eternal kingdom, look at your hands. That's why you should let me in because those scars were on my behalf. The third practical way we can walk in the holiness of Christ is to preach this good news to one another whenever we're at risk of forgetting it, which is, by the way, every moment. The fourth and final practical way is that we can master our earthly cravings with heavenly satisfaction. This is a way that we demonstrate the holiness of Christ, that we walk in the holiness of Christ. We master our earthly cravings with heavenly satisfaction. See to it, verses 16 and 17, that no one among you is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to reverse what he had done. As Isaac's and Rebekah's firstborn son, Esau's birthright included a double portion of the household estate And future headship of the family that God was forming. But one day, after some hard work in the field, Esau was really hungry. He was hungry. And in his moment of hunger, he bartered with his younger twin brother Jacob for a bowl of stew. He says, hey, Jacob, give me that bowl of stew that you just cooked And I bet Jacob was probably like, well, no, this is mine. And Esau was like, well, no, I'm I'm about to die here. I'm so hungry. Give me that bowl of stew. No, Jacob, give me that bowl of stew and I will give you my firstborn rights and privileges and responsibilities in the household of God. This is what unholiness looks like. When we elevate our temporal cravings over and above our eternal standing, when we feed our desires for pornography, for the latest gossip, for just one more delicious drink, for just another slice of cake, for another trunk full of impulse shopping. When we habitually feed our desires, we are saying to ourselves and to the watching world that what we want is more important than who we are in Christ. When we elevate Our temporal craving above our eternal standing and this happens every time we succumb to temptation every time we succumb to temptation it is us saying yeah so I know what my birthright is being that I am a co-heir of the kingdom of God with the firstborn Jesus himself but I'm gonna go ahead and thwart I'm gonna deny that I'm gonna actually you know what I'm gonna barter that birthright and I'm gonna take this for temporary satisfaction instead. Brothers and sisters, we must master our earthly cravings with a heavenly satisfaction. You are, let me speak to you, if you are in Christ, and to be in Christ is is really, if, 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 if you're wondering whether or not you are, believe that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God who died to wash you from sin and who rose to bring you to the Father for everlasting life. Believe that now. If you are in Christ, you are a blood-bought son or daughter of the Most High God. And while you you might leave this place today and you certainly will be tempted at some point in time today to gratify your flesh with pornography or another drink or more sugar or an explosive fit of rage or buying something else that you don't need. I'm not saying that all, all of, the, honestly, everything except for pornography here, there's, 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 there's room for some, some measure. Having a slice of cake is awesome. It's really awesome. <laughs> but here's how you you and I are to are to are to fight our earthly craving with a, with a heavenly satisfaction is to be reminded right then and there in the moment when I am tempted to look lustfully at images on my phone that would dishonor my wife and scorn God. In that moment, I have to be reminded of this fact that I am a blood-bought son of God and pornography will not satisfy me in the least. In the least, I could never be comforted by anything other than God. I could never be satisfied by anyone or anything other than God. I can never find the fulfillment my heart yearns for apart from Him bowing down at his throne of grace and saying gosh my flesh wants this but I know you satisfy more please fill me please comfort me please satisfy me please bring to mind a brother in Christ whom I can call right now and have him preach to me and remind me of who I am a holy son and this type of behavior is not fitting for me I am holy For those of us who acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Son of God who redeems us from sin, we have been declared holy. And now we have the privilege and responsibility we get to walk in that holiness. Not just to the joy of our hearts, but to the witness of our friends and neighbors, family, that they would see Christ in us, the hope of glory. We can be strong when we have no strength. We can strive for godly peace with everyone. We can preach good news to those who are forgetting it. And we can and must master, by the power of the Holy Spirit, with our eyes on the goodness of Jesus, we can and must master our earthly cravings with the heavenly satisfaction that is already ours. We just need to be reminded of it. And so will we do it? Brothers and sisters, will we do it? And let our answer be yes and amen. Yes and amen. Let's pray together and we'll continue to worship. Father, thank you for this word. It's, uh, it's funny. I think every week when I come across which passage you'd have me to to Harold, to my brothers and sisters here, that passage becomes like my favorite passage. <laughs> and, and so it is true with your word that every, every letter is so dripping with grace. And I pray, Lord, that we would have eyes to see it today, that this passage would no doubt challenge us, convict us, draw us to our knees in repentance, but that it would come out on the other end, bolstering us and encouraging us in this, that in Christ, with simple mustard seed faith, we have been made perfect and pure for all time. And now, by the strength of your Holy Spirit, we get to walk in it. We get to walk in it to the glory of your name. We get to walk in it to the joy of our hearts. We get to walk in it to the salvation of our neighbors and onlookers who are looking for a reason to put their hope in you, Jesus. Let us be that reason to them in holiness set apart and may we shine as lights in this world. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name, amen.